Hello and welcome to the Horizon Church podcast. We exist to see lives transformed through Jesus and are located in the heart of Surrey, BC, Canada. To find out more, visit us at horizonchurch.ca. We hope this message blesses and inspires you. Oh, good morning. How's everyone? It's summertime. Some of you are going to be going to the lake. Some of you are going to be holidaying. But in it all, just remember to keep God first in it all. If you're at the lake, you can always reach us online or you can just see us the next week. It's all good. But it's a wonderful season and the signs of summer are all here. Uh, Signs uh, that point to warmth and how many of you enjoy some warmth after seven months of rain? Yeah. But just thank God you didn't live in Alberta where they have seven months of snow. But in it all, there's signs, signs of summer. I, uh, if you Google church signs, you will find some interesting things. Um, uh, I'm just going to read a couple of these. I don't endorse them. I just uh, read them. Like this one, whoever stole our AC units, keep one. It's hot where you're going. <laughs> Woo, zinga. Wow, I didn't write that. But honk if you love Jesus. Text while driving if you want to meet him sooner. (laughs) Jesus is watching, but the police have radar. And this one, I think some of you might have sent this in. Having trouble sleeping? Try one of our sermons. (laughs) Signs. Many years ago, Shannon and I were in Romania and had been there for a number of weeks, I think six weeks, uh, shortly after... uh, it had fallen from communism, and uh, there were thousands and thousands of orphans. And so we were part of an organization that took food in and medical supplies into these orphanages, and we were there for a number of weeks. And at the end of it, uh, we were to drive from Romania across Europe into Stuttgart in Germany. And I, li- I love to drive. I'm a road trip guy. I like driving, and uh, this was a Fiat van with a five-speed uh, if you, but the greatest part of the, the, the drive was once we got on the Autobahn in Germany. If you don't know what the Autobahn is, there's no speed limit, except the limit of your car. And so I had that Fiat van just a rattling at 140, 150 kilometers an hour. And you'd look in the mirror and see a car and all of a sudden it would be by you. And so we're flying along, having a good time. I was anyway. Shanda, I think uh, her prayer life went way up at that moment. But it was a wonderful time and I was driving along and there would be all kinds of signs. I was only looking for one sign, this sign to Stuttgart because I didn't want to miss that term. That's where our dinner was. That's where we were going to be staying. But we're flying along and all kinds of signs. I don't read German, probably most somebody should have, but I didn't. And there were signs that were saying different things. I don't know what they were saying. Uh, They were in German, but I couldn't understand them. I didn't know what was happening. We're speeding along and suddenly we come around the corner and an entire row of red brake lights were on. And suddenly I'm like standing on the brake, gearing down, screaming, praying in tongues, right? That's what I was doing. Uh, And finally just barely got to a stop right before the vehicle in front of me. And my heart is erasing. And I came to understand, because I talked to somebody later, that there were all kinds of signs warning me to slow down. The Autobahn was coming to an end. 150 isn't going to work anymore, Craig. You need to slow down, pay attention to the signs. But the reality was I was unaware of what the signs were saying, and so I didn't change my behavior. 
and I'd missed the signs and I didn't know how to prepare. And I was thinking of, as we're stepping into a new series for the next number of weeks, are we aware of the signs of our time, of what's happening in our world around us? Economically, all of us are paying more, whether that's for rent or for food or for gas or for whatever it is, we're paying more. Or if you have a mortgage, it's going up. If you have rent, it's going up. If you can find a house, that's getting more and more challenging around in our city. We see even this week, uh, some challenges in a global, uh, of, of a war threatening to go global that's in Ukraine right now. Troubles all around the world. Prevalence of seeking to drive unpopular ideas and discussions of faith out of the public square. Ancient standards of morality have been turned on their head. And then we think globally for the church. I don't know if you're aware of this, but every day in 2022, conservative estimates are that 15 followers of Jesus were killed for their faith, every day. For Christ followers, we live in this incredibly challenging time where more than 125,000 Christians were forcibly displaced from their homes in the last year because of their faith. We have some in the room right now who are in Canada because they had to flee for their lives because of their faith. Every day, 12 churches or Christian buildings are attacked around the world. Every day, six churches are forcibly closed by tyrannical governments around the world. So far, you're encouraged, I know. It's just try to keep the amens to a minimum. But we also see that the Western church, where we may not, may not experience that kind of struggle, we have our own problems. We see leaders failing morally or exerting abusive power or control. Sometimes churches that can seem to be doing all the right things have lost their first love for Jesus. There's lukewarmness in many of the churches of Canada and around our nation. Some churches are abandoning right doctrine in favor of pursuing what they perceive as right behavior without the doctrine. Some are concerned about doctrinal purity while failing to be loving towards those who need the love of God or disagree with them. And are we aware of the signs of our times? There's been so much societal shifting in the last five, 10, 15 years, and it's been a slow progression, but it's like the frog in a pot of water as you warm it up and suddenly it's boiling and you're not aware of it. Will we navigate correctly the signs of our times or will we threaten to come to a screeching halt like I was on the Autobahn, almost ready to pile into the vehicle in front of us, Will the church crash into irrelevance and be discarded on the ash heap of history? What are the signs of our times? Pressure from without, corruption from within. Centuries ago, when the people of God were in exile and despair, they cried out to God, how shall we then live? In Exodus chapter 33, the same question rings out for us today. How should we then live if all the signs of our time are saying all kinds of messages? How should we then live as the people of God? And I talk to many Christians who are unsure of how to respond in, to these signs. Some are hiding, fear of the future, want to hide away, isolate themselves. I've talked to someone who said, I just want to move into the mountains somewhere without power off grid because I, I can't handle this anymore. It's too crazy. In all seriousness, they were. 
Some are hostile, angry and defensive and fighting them. I'm going to fight back. I'm going to use my wits and my social media to fight. Others are simply quitting and and believe that a modern faith abandons Jesus as the way of salvation, sees the word of God as irrelevant and rejects almost any standard of morality outside of what they feel. The signs of our times. This is not a time to be on autopilot. This is not a time to be on autopilot in your faith. I was running this week. I'm preparing for a half marathon at the end of July. And I was running and it was a longer distance and I was about five and a half kilometers in. And one of the things that they tell you is that around the halfway mark, you start to kind of go on autopilot because you're thinking of other things. Your legs are moving mostly by themselves and you're just kind of going along. And I was going along on 188th Street and there's lots of trees there and roots that are pushing up the sidewalk. And, and I tripped just on a little thing, just like that. And I tripped and suddenly I'm going over, landing on my hand, landing on my shoulder and looking up at the sky, wondering what just happened. But since I'm a man, as cars began to slow down, I jumped up, I'm fine. And I start running I'm like, oh my gosh, that hurts. My shoulder still hurts today. But you know, I just, I can't let anybody, never let them see you sweat or that you're in pain. But over the summer, (laughs) somebody else fell this week. Over the summer, we're gonna look at some of the instructions of Jesus to churches in a similar time, seeing similar signs. And we're gonna look at seven letters to seven churches recorded in the book of Revelation where Jesus comes and gives clarity to churches undergoing pressure from without and corruption from within. Let's pray. Jesus, we thank you for your word that's quick. Thank you for your word that's powerful. Pray that you give us ears to hear what the Spirit is saying to us, that we not put up our deflector shields, but that we will allow you to speak to us, encourage us, and strengthen us through your word. In Jesus' name, amen. The book of Revelation is the last book of the Bible. Uh, I was going to say near the end, but it's at the end. And it's one of those books that has this reputation of being a strange book because there's all kinds of interesting imagery. If you ever read it, uh, it's got angels and demons, there's waterfalls, there's beasts, there's dragons chasing ladies, there's all kinds of stuff that are flying around, wedding feasts, epic battles, creatures with completely covered with eyes, lions, lambs, thrones, all kinds of things. And Revelation is this book that has created for some clarity and for others confusion as you read it. I can remember when I was growing up, and this will date my age a little bit, but there was a book that was called 101 Reasons Why Jesus Will Return in 1988. You can probably buy it on Amazon. It's really cheap right now. But in all seriousness, I was kind of irritated. I was 15 years old. I wanted to get my driver's license and drive. I said, like, no, come on, not 1988 like one more year, but it was one of those things, the late great planet Earth, Left Behind series, which so we all are clear, those are fictional books, they are not theological treatises. You can enjoy them if you like, but do not base your life on them. And we start in Revelation one and one, 
says the revel and we're not going to go through all the book of Revelation. I'm not ready for that yet. Uh, Revelation 1 and verse 1. The revelation from Jesus Christ, which God gave him to show his servants what must soon take place, he made it known by sending his angel to his servant, John. First off, it's a revelation of Jesus. It's a revelation from Jesus. It's Jesus revealing things about our lives and about himself to the world so you can live no matter what season you're in. And I want to what time frame is it addressing? Because sometimes people think this is all about some spooky end time stuff. We've already talked about it, the last great battle and there's gonna be fire coming down from the sky and all kinds of stuff. I, I don't know about all that. There, you can read lots of great opinions on it, but we recognize we hold all of those lightly. But we know what a few things about it. First, it's what time frame is it addressing? Is it just out there sometime some people are saying, I can see all the signs. Do you read the book of Revelation? I don't know, but look at this. There are, here's what it says. The first word is, there are some things which must take place, must take place soon. First word is must. This shows that history is not haphazard. It has purpose. God is not sitting on his throne going, oh my goodness, what is happening in Canada right now? Did you, Jesus, did you? Are you aware of what's happening here? God is working in and through history. He is purposeful. He is on, in control. He is intentional. He is not on the defensive. He knows what he is doing. So when that word we say it must take place, know that God is the God of history and he's at work in the middle of history even when you don't see the whole totality of what he's doing. He is at work in every season, in every nation, in every church around the world must take place. And then there's this word soon, which really means it's relating to that time. This shows that it's not right to only use revelation for some far off day. Jesus was talking to John about some things which must soon take place in the context of where they were. However, it's not only about where they were because verse 19 says that it's a both now and a later time frame when it says this, right therefore what you have seen, what is now and what will take place later. So there's kind of a both and happening right there. This is a little differently than I normally preach, but I'm trying to lay a little bit of a foundation for the next number of weeks as we get into these seven letters. Someone has said that, you know, all these letters that, that uh, Jesus wrote to these churches, we should be getting a letter. With all the stuff that's going on in our world, in our churches, we should be getting a letter. So I'm hopeful that all of us will hear what the Spirit of God is saying to the churches, to our church, to us as individuals, to our families, to our lives, as we read it, that we will not just think of somebody else. So it was written for both. It must take place. It must place taste. Plate taste? take place soon and it also has a relevance for a later time. So who is it written to? In verse four, write a scroll, write on a scroll what you have seen and send it to the seven churches, to Ephesus, Smyrna, Pergamum, Thyatira, Sardis, Philadelphia, and Laodicea, not Philadelphia, USA. But the approach that we're gonna take then is that this addresses both seven literal churches and the church of Jesus Christ throughout history. In verse nine, we see, who the scribe was. I, John, your brother and companion in the suffering and kingdom and patience, endurance that are ours in Jesus, was on the isle or the island of Patmos because of the word of God 
and the testimony of Jesus. So the background is, this is about AD 96. John is one of the apostles of Jesus, called the beloved apostle or the one whom Jesus loved. And here he is, probably in his mid 80s, and he's on in exile on this island called Patmos, where he was placed there by the Roman Caesar, out in the Aegean Sea, which is part of the reason why you have this strange cryptic language is because of the because he would be writing letters and all those letters would first go through a prison censor. So they're gonna be reading to find out if he's sending any messages to the people. So he would write all this apocalyptic language that allows him to convey a message to get through the censors so that those who hear could understand what he was saying. But the ones who were reading it, the censor would go, John has lost it. Have you read this? This is hilarious. The senseless ramblings of a doddering old man in exile. Now, Patmos is a barren rock. It lies 40 miles off. It's still there off the coast of Turkey. and belongs to Greece right now. And before he was sent to exile, history tells us, Tertullus, one of the ancient historians, says that John was first placed in a vat of boiling oil. And he stood in it and was not harmed and preached while the oil was boiling in him. And they pulled him out and he was unharmed. So later they said, we're gonna try something else. And they forced poison down his throat, but it did not harm him. So they're like, we can't kill this guy. We're gonna send him off to exile on this island called Patmos because banishment was a common way to deal with criminals if you, that you didn't wanna kill because they didn't wanna kill him because a martyr helps the cause. Life had been hard enough up to that time, but because prior to those moments, the emperor Nero, anybody ever heard of Nero? The famous thing was he was fiddling while Rome burned, then he blamed it on the Christians. And in AD 67, Rome or Nero was feeding Christians to the lions. They would pull them, drag them in, and there would be all kinds of things, your famous scenes where they would be forced to fight or die or just be fed to the lions and it would be sport and people would pay money to come see a Christian be murdered in that way. In that time, the apostles Peter and Paul were also martyred, one beheaded, one crucified upside down. But in AD 92, if you can imagine, it got even worse when the emperor Domitian was a profoundly insecure man who lived in morbid fear of being overthrown. So to compensate for his insecurity, this is what he did. This is all laying down where we're going for the next number of weeks. He demanded that all his subjects worship him literally as Lord and God. So you were demanded that you would go to the temple, take a pinch of incense, throw it onto the fire and say, all hail Caesar is Lord. Now, I know we got problems with our government, but so far we haven't got that far. Although sometimes I wonder if that's where we're going, just to be honest. But for most Roman citizens, this posed no problem at all. Most were, after all, polytheists, which meant, simply means they believed in many gods. So adding one more to the list was not a big deal. So they would go in and, and throw the thing and say the edict, but John and all followers of Jesus could not abide by this emperor's edict. We can respect Caesar, yes. We can pay taxes to Caesar, yes. We can worship Caesar, no. And so what happened and what continued to happen both to John and to the churches was a lot of pressure began to be put on them. And some of them, as we already said, began to be thrown to the lions or as John was, 
put off onto some banishment. And so while John was on Patmos, the pressure increased on the churches of Jesus. And this is about seven churches in what is now Turkey, kind of in almost in a horseshoe shape. It's not the only churches, but they were seven important cities and the letters were to be read in all of the churches. And on top of all that pressure from the outside, there was corruption beginning on the inside. Heresy and immorality were gaining footholds in the church, in several of the congregations. And as he looked across the Aegean Sea, you can picture John, just his heart broken for the churches that he had started and some that he was pastoring in, in Ephesus. And he knew that many Christians would be confused, they would be discouraged, and they would be afraid. Maybe a little bit like today. And why was it written? Because Jesus wrote to these churches who were confused, who were discouraged, who were afraid. He knows that some are in bondage, that some are in sin, that some are under increasing pressure. And Jesus comes with a word of encouragement, of correction and direction for his church. Pressure from without, corruption from within. And in 2023, these seven churches reflect many of the characteristics of the church of Jesus Christ. And they reflect many of the characteristics of the people of God in the congregations all around in our city. And they give us much insight into the signs of our times and how to respond in 2023. This is not just a book for AD 96 or 200 BC. This is a book for today. It's relevant for you today in every situation that we face because the pressure of our times is that we should live a certain way. See, the push is to follow the way of ease. The push is to follow the way of social media. The push is to follow the way of the education system. The push is to follow the way of the anti-faith culture warriors. Or you will risk public humiliation, public ridicule, exclusion, canceling or maybe losing your job or even physical persecution. It's happening all around the world in so many places. And so we might want to hide like some, we might want to be hostile like others, or we might want to just pretend it's not happening. But we need to know the signs of our times and how to respond. And so Jesus begins by giving a fresh revelation of himself. Because our faith is not built on just words in a book. Our faith is not built on if everything is working in our life all the time. Our faith is built on the person of Jesus Christ. The one who came, who died, was buried, and rose again in newness of life. The one who came to set captives free. The one who came to set at liberty those who are oppressed of the devil. The one who came to save. The one who came to heal. The one who came to deliver. The one who came to change people. The one who came to set addicts free. The one who who came to, to change nations, to turn cities upside down, and to set people on a path of life and godliness. Our faith is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. And so we must see Jesus for who he is. We cannot set our affection on what's happening in our world. We cannot set our attention on what's going on around us and let it guide us or govern what's happening. But we must look at every sign through the person and the work of Jesus Christ who is still alive, who is still working, who is still moving, who still loves you, who still believes that Canada can be turned. We're not quitting. We're moving forward. 
with a revelation of Jesus. And Jesus begins to describe himself in verse 12 of Revelation 1. And, and this is John speaking. He says, I turned to see the voice that spoke with me. And having turned, I saw seven golden lampstands. Here it starts with all the imagery. And in the midst of the seven lampstands was one, like the Son of Man, clothed with a garment down to his feet and girded around his chest with a golden band. His head and his hair were white like wool. I'm in good company, as white as snow. And his eyes were like a flame of fire. His feet were like fine brass, as if refined in a furnace. And his voice, as the voice of many waters. His ha he had in his right hand seven stars. And out of his mouth a sharp two-edged sword. And his countenance was like the sun, shining in its strength. First thing we see is that Jesus is speaking. The first thing is that he's a revealer of himself. He begins to speak. I love how it says John turned to the voice because in other words, he was looking one way, he heard a voice and he turned to see the voice. And some of us are looking at all kinds of things happening in our world. We're wondering what we should do. We're wondering how we will respond. We're wondering if we're gonna make it. We're wondering if the world is going to hell in a handbasket. We're letting what's happening around us to define what's happening in us. And like John, we need to turn again to the voice of Jesus and say, what is he saying? What is he speaking? What is he talking? about in our day and in our time. He's speaking and he speaks. He, he is the word. He's, he has a word and his words are spirit and they are life. Not only is Jesus speaking, Jesus is with us. It says he's in the midst of us, in the midst of the seven lampstands. And those seven lampstands, we're told later, represent the seven churches. In other words, Jesus wasn't unaware. He's not inactive. He was absolutely in the middle of his church. Someone has said this, one commentator said, the risen and living Jesus lives and moves among his churches still. He's moving among us. He is not absentee. He is present among the earthly congregations of his people. He is actively involved in 2023 in the churches of Surrey. He is walking among Horizon Church. He is walking among Relate Church. He is walking among Village Church. He is walking among Hope Community Church. He is walking among Sunrise Church. He knows and sees what's going on in his churches. And he's not there just to kick things over. He's there to come alongside. He's there to bring his very presence into the middle of us. So because he's present, he's the one who can say, I know what is happening. He's in the middle of the churches of China who saw 7,000 churches close forcibly in 2020 and 2021. He's in the middle of the churches being persecuted in Nigeria and in the Sudan and the DRC. He's in the middle of the sleepy Canadian church with an apathetic re uh, reality, but a faithful remnant believing for God to move. He's in the middle of the churches of Pakistan where faithful followers of Jesus run for their lives. He's in the middle of a revival in Thailand. He's walking among his churches. He is not above looking down. He's not on the outside looking in. He is right in the middle, right there in the middle of the churches, which is why he can say, I know. I know what is happening. I know your fears. I know your discouragement. I know your pain. I I know what's going on in your home. I know what's going on in your marriage. I know what's going on in the churches of the city and I am speaking and I am coming and I am walking in the midst of you. Do not forget that what's going on around you is nothing to compare to who is walking with you in the middle of it. Jesus knows what we are going through in the church, in the world, in our lives and he is the one 
just behind the veil, the great unseen reality of everything is that Jesus is in the middle of it all. And Jesus described himself, we already read about that. He is the great high priest, the one who bridges the gap. His head is like white with wool like snow. He is the ancient of days. He is infinitely wise and perfect. His eyes are like flames of fire, pure and intensely purifying. His feet were like burnished bronze. He is strong. He is unmovable. Everywhere he goes, he's destroying the work of hell and death and the grave. And his voice was like the sound of many waters. His voice is powerfully speaking, overcoming every lie that we believe is true. And we need to hear that voice, the voice of many waters, overwhelming every other voice. His voice is shining with brilliance because that speaks to his face is shining upon you. His blessing is for you. He's looking favorably upon you in the middle of all the signs of the times. Jesus is above all. He is through all and he is in all. He is Lord of the church. He is king of the world. And it says this beautiful thing in his right hand, he held seven stars. Now we're told later that those seven stars definitely represent the seven leaders of the seven churches, but some believe that Jesus is saying something more. Get this, in the first century, they, believe, they only saw seven planets and everybody would have known those seven planets. So people thought that all of life was under the power of the stars and under the sway and control of those planets. They anxiously consulted the astrology tables as they looked at what was happening around them. And in Greek mythology, the goddess Hecate held the stars and calls herself the beginning and the end. Interesting. And Jesus comes as the counter image, the alternate vision and says, I am the beginning and I am the end. The seven stars are in his right hand. Hecate does not have the stars. Caesar does not have the stars. Jesus has the stars. The planets do not control anyone. Jesus controls them. The the stars do not run life, Jesus does. The son of man, Jesus himself, is Lord of the universe. And so he's trying to reveal himself for who he really is. Because if he's not who he said he is, then none of, none of this matters. None of this is worth it. Because who wants to go through anything unless Jesus is who he said he is. Because if he is who he said he is, he deserves our following, he deserves our worship, he deserves our adoration, he deserves, and he is who he said he is. How many in the room would just throw up your hand to say, God has done something special in my life. God has saved me, God is here. Look around the room. God has done something significant in my life. Jesus is alive and present in the world today. And finally, Jesus is victorious for us. Revelation 1 and 17 and 18. When I saw him, I fell at his feet as though dead. Then he placed his right hand on me and said, do not be afraid. I am the first and I am the last. I am the living one. I was dead and now look, I am alive forever and ever. And I hold the keys of death and Hades or hell. John is being told, to tell the disciples of Jesus in AD 96. And I would surmise and propose to you, to the disciples of Jesus in 2023, do not fear the Nero's or the Domitians of our day. Do not fear at who could cancel you. Do not fear who would 
disqualify you. Do not fear who might ridicule you. Because why? Because I am he that liveth and was dead. And behold, I am alive forevermore. I have conquered every foe. I have conquered death itself because every fear believes that at the end of it all, will it really matter? If, if we lose our very lives, he was telling them, don't even worry about it because Jesus will come. He has set you free. He liberates you. He has conquered death. He has conquered hell. He has conquered the grave. He can surely come for, through for you just like he did in AD 96. He's still working in 2023 in Canada. Just because he was speaking to John on the Isle of Patmos, he's speaking to you in the, in the, in the island of Surrey right now in the middle of the lower mainland. He's speaking in Canada. He's speaking around the world world. Do not fear because I am he that liveth and was dead. Behold, I am alive forevermore. So in every place, let that imagery grab you. I have the keys of death. No one has them. I am alive and I have the keys, he said. Stop being afraid. I am alive. I know what is going on. I see you. I am with you. I'm walking with you. I am building my church. The gates of hell will not prevail against it. There's an awakening of the church that's coming because I'll tell you, the record of history is every time when it got dark that the light shone a little brighter, that there became a, a desperate remnant of the people of God that would be the ones that would get on their knees and say, oh God, would you move afresh? that we see the signs of the times that say it's dark and the darkness is win the, will win the day. But my Bible still says that good triumphs over evil, that Jesus is building the church and that when we pray and that when we ask and when we intercede, that he moves in response to the people of God. He said, Jesus said, pray your kingdom come, Father, your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. So we're praying over our city. We're praying over our families. We're praying that God would still move, that he sees us. Us, that he hears us, that he's speaking a word over us to believe with faith again, that despite what is going on around us, that we would join with the faith of John and say, I see Jesus. I see the one seated on the throne. I see the ancient of days. I see the one who conquered hell, death, and the grave, and he can still move in my family. He can still break the addiction. He can still cause a revival in our city, in our day, and in our time. See, the book of Revelation is a revelation of and from Jesus. It's not a revelation of hell. It's not a revelation of the devil and all his plans. It's a revelation of Jesus and his plan to change the world. So listen to my voice, Jesus said, I am with you. He said, I am victorious. I'm speaking, I have not abandoned you and you can be victorious too in the middle of what's going on despite what the signs might say. Know Jesus and who he is afresh. I invite you to stand to your feet. We believe in the power of Jesus. We believe in the power of the word of God. We believe that Jesus is who he said he is. You, if you're here and you are never made Jesus the forgiver and leader of your life, the same Jesus that conquered death, hell, and the grave conquers your sin, conquers my sin. The same Jesus who, while we were yet sinners, Christ died for us and brought us close through the power of his own resurrection. If you don't know who Jesus is, if you're not sure if you're right with God, there's a story that Jesus talks about where someone was made right with God through seven little words prayed from their heart. God be merciful to me, a sinner. And that's not the end of the story, that's the beginning of the story. 
but it certainly starts. Every journey begins with a step. If you've never made Jesus a forgiver and leader of your life, God be merciful to me, a sinner. You can pray that in your heart. Tell the person that you came with. But right now I wanna pray for us. And then we're gonna pray for our, the church of Jesus in our city. Lord, I thank you that you are above all and over all and in all. Thank you that you are the God of history. Thank you that you are moving in our church. Thank you that you're moving in the churches of this city. And Lord, I pray that we would not be people who hide away, that we would not get hostile with people who disagree with us, that we would not quit, but that we would see Jesus seated on the throne, that we would see the ruler of, of heaven and earth, that we would see the one who is speaking a word of faith into our spirits today, that we would see the one who is with us in the middle of our messes, in the middle of what's going on in our world, that we would with great faith know that Jesus is victorious, and we can be victorious in the middle of it all. So Lord, change our vision. Help us to see the signs from your perspective that you are building your church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. So I pray, Lord, where there's fear that we put our eyes on Jesus. Where there's discouragement, we put our eyes on Jesus. Where there's anxiety that we cast our cares on Jesus. We look to you, Jesus, the one, the King of the world. In the strong name of Jesus, amen and amen. We hope you enjoyed this message from Horizon Church. To find your next step, visit horizonfam.ca. Have a great week.